Hi, and welcome to another episode of Record Talk Listen. My name is Lydia, and thank you so much for joining me. On today's show, we feature John O'Rourke, and John is a professor in the Department of Political Science at Frostburg State University. And I was lucky enough to have him come on the show in a relatively quick time frame, considering that our topic of discussion is the election cycle. Now, when we did this interview, it was Wednesday. It was the day after the Indiana primary. So we talk about that briefly. But I also thought it was a good idea for everybody to get a basic civics refresher. Um, So we have a very engaging, fact-filled, about an hour of how our elections work and why your vote is always important. Speaking of important things, if you're wondering where you can find all of our other episodes, there are 70 of them, and you can find them on our website, and that's recordtalklisten.com. You'll find more information about the show and direct links. There's also a really awesome donate button on the page. And if you want to sponsor the show, so, you know, at the beginning, like we're talking right now, you can say this show is sponsored by, and it could be you. It could be your name right here. Um, So make sure to contact us via the website. If you want to take us mobile on your mobile listening device like your phone, uh, we are available on Stitcher, iTunes, Podcast Republic, and Google Play. And if you're on those apps and you like what you hear, make sure to leave us a review so more people can see the podcast um, and we get a little bit more exposure. We would greatly appreciate that. So without further ado, here is John O'Rourke from Frostburg State University. Right, I have the Reverend Dr. Johnny O'Rourke here. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you today? Good. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for inviting me. Um, so I reached out to you because we are having a crazy election cycle. Uh, yes, we are. Much crazier than I think any of us could have possibly imagined. And I'm talking to you on Wednesday, which is the day after Indiana. Um, so now it's even more crazy. Well, the day after Indiana, for the Republicans, Mr. Trump has... Taking a big step forward. Yes. Mr. Cruz has dropped out. Yep. And as of this afternoon, so did Mr. Kissick. I know. It's so with one one right. standing. Yeah. Mr. Yeah. Trump mm. seems to be the nominee. Yes. Presumptive as they call it. Presumptive. Yeah. They um the other people are some of the other people are still on the ballots. Okay. So technically people can still vote for them or mm-hmm. their delegates. But they're no longer right. interested exactly. <laughs> in receiving so, those votes. Yeah. But that that the whole dynamic has to do with what's going to happen at the convention next. Mm. So that it's not as if they're going to just stop having the primary or caucuses. Right. They're going to go through with it. Although it does seem much more pro forma now on the uh-huh. Republican side. Right. Than it it was as of Monday. As of Monday, a couple of days ago. Yeah. All right. So let's before we get into. The politics. Let's just start at the beginning. Where were you born? I was born in New York, just okay. north of Manhattan. All right. I uh, grew up on the Long Island Sound on the mainland side. Nice. I uh, went to school um, all the way up through high school in New York. Then I moved to the great state of Massachusetts for my undergraduate. Nice. Got my undergraduate at Williams College, shifted over to the great state of Pennsylvania. <laughs> Uh, no, wait, I went to New York in the middle. Sorry about that. Okay. I got my master's <laughs> back in Albany, New York. Okay. They're all great states. So I'm not going to say that anymore. And then down for my PhD at, at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Nice. Yeah. And then you ended up in Frostburg? Well, I 
as many graduate students, I took part-time teaching gigs when I was in Philadelphia. Okay. And I heard of a job in Dover, Delaware. Nice. And I did not have my PhD in hand yet, but they were willing to give me a part-time gig anyway. Cool. So I worked there for a couple of years, and then I moved to Frostburg. <laughs> and I've been working at Frostburg for the last 25 years, worked my way through the ranks, and I'm currently a professor of political science at Frostburg State. That's awesome. So how did you fall in love with political science? I started in college. I was uninformed and apolitical uh, prior to that. Okay. But I started taking political science courses, and actually I found out that there was this job called professor, college teacher, and mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. And I liked politics, and I was a little lefty at the time. Uh, I was probably verging on the closest you could get to being a middle-class Marxist in U.S. culture. Okay. <laughs> so I got into politics to change the world. Nice. And I thought the way to change the world was uh, teaching. I think that's a good start. And then I found out that could be a job, too. <laughs> wow. I get to read. I get to study politics. I get to write about it, research, mm -hmm. and talk about it, teach, hopefully change the world. Yeah, checking all the boxes for that, you. That's where I – That's. That's what led me to my current position. That's awesome. Yeah. So you found fun. what you loved and, and a stable job at the right. same time. And a stable job at the same time, exactly. <laughs> so your parents were like, phew. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's pretty much the reaction I got. That's, well, that's good. So, I mean, with political science, and you, you've how many years have you been at Frostburg? 25. 25. Okay. So I've changed a lot of minds and taught a lot of, maybe. I've attempted to change a lot of minds okay. that's a question for for those people to answer right right so um it must be exciting because no election season is the same um true and you also do comparative that's true science. as well yeah. so you can have an opportunity because the world's changing all the time all right. so you have a very dynamic job absolutely there's always something interesting and unique uh unusual and there's always just something going on Right. I study U.S. politics. I study Middle Eastern politics, um, Latin American, African. So uh, there's always something right. from the uh, the impeachment proceedings in Brazil. Yes. The Turkish Parliament's brawl. Yes. The Syrian civil war. Um, the storming of the Iraqi Parliament. Uh huh. And of course, the U.S. primary season. <laughs> which is we're in the thick of right now correct yeah so i mean there's always something to to talk about in your classes <laughs> yes there's always something to talk about yeah. are your students engaging and do you i mean there's always a give and take when you teach i mean it's a it's an interesting dynamic when you teach about politics mm -hmm. many people walk into your classroom and they want to talk about what's in the newspaper okay which is great but in order to understand what's in the newspaper, I try to give them a fundamental understanding of the basic principles okay. of political systems and the basic premises behind the study of politics, which for many young people is not as intriguing as the, the brawl in the Turkish parliament. Right, exactly. But why there was a brawl and how it could happen mm -hmm. uh, gives the, a better understanding than just a newspaper article that says, hey, these guys started pounding on each other. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's good. So it's a mixed bag. You you know, 
Yeah, I try to introduce them early on to the idea that we're going to do some of the fun, dynamic stuff you like, but the whole point is to give you a framework so when you walk out, you can do this by yourself. Right. So when you see something like a big headline like that, you can dissect it to what the real problem, root of the problem was right. that caused it. Try the to cause figure and out why. Yeah. And is it going to happen again? Yeah. I mean, being a, a, an educated consumer of news, it's probably the best thing I can give from my political science classes. That's awesome. So um, I guess we should talk about our election process. Let's do it. Okay, so why is our election process so long? That is a question that people ask and have been asking and more and more frequently because it seems to be getting longer and longer. I feel like it is just never ending. Many places in the world, presidential elections are conducted within 18 weeks. Yeah, I was going to say, it's so short. Yeah. You get... Two to three months, boom, you're good. Yeah. It's a whole different system, though. It's a whole different setup. Um, the U.S. system is a presidential-based system, uh, and that adds to the length. Okay. In a party-based parliamentary system, mm -hmm. you can sort of consolidate things into one unified election process. Okay. We also have a two-party system, which adds uh, something new to the dynamic. And we have a federalist system, which compounds the dynamic as well. Okay. We'll start with the federalist system. Uh, under U.S. law, states regulate their election processes. Okay. We tend to think of the United States as a two-party system. Mm -hmm. It's technically a two-party dominant system. Right. There are many, many parties in the United States, but two parties always seem to win. Yes. There are actually more than two parties, though. There are 50-plus parties. But not all of them get federal right. recognition. But the recognition actually comes at the state level. So there are 50 Democratic, okay. there are 50 Republican parties, one for each of the states. So when Bernie Sanders wants to run in a primary or a caucus yes. in one of the states, he has to get either individually by himself or through the Democratic National Committee, uh, a list of registered voters who will support his nomination in that state. Okay. And then he moves to the next state. He has to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Both the Democratic National Committee and the Republican National Committee hold voter registration lists. Right. So for them to get their people on the roll, on the ballot, right. is relatively easy. If you're running as a third-party candidate, no matter what party you are, mm -hmm. the dynamics become more difficult. Because then they don't have to share that information. They do not have to. Mm -hmm. right. One of the things that uh, foreign students, and we do get a handful at Frostburg, they ask me about the presidential system and the way we run it here in the United States is, why do you have state-based national elections? And you say, well, that's an interesting question, and it's based on the principle of federalism. To the degree possible, the founding fathers wanted to leave uh, as many of the decisions as possible mm -hmm. to the states rather than to the national central government. Right. Because, I mean, at that time, there weren't that many states. There were 13 when yeah. this current constitution was ratified. Right. Uh, and they, the populations were small. Mm -hmm. They were all clustered up and down the East Coast. So travel was a bit of an issue then. But... Uh, no airplanes or, automo or automobiles or right. trains or anything, but um, relatively more confined. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea was that let the people decide. Right. 
And it seemed to make sense at the time. But realistically, it was a compromise. Yeah. It was one of the great compromises that without it, the Constitution would never have gotten off the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that adds to the time as well. You don't have a national election primary. You have 50 of them. Now, some of them occur on the same days. Some of them occur on so the that, same days. Thank and goodness that for is, that. Right. And that's a negotiated deal among the Republicans and the states and among the Democrats in the states. So as you notice how some of the primaries or caucuses mm-hmm. for the Democrats in a state are on a different day than they are for yes. the Republicans. Mm-hmm. You figure at the very least election day would be the same. For everybody. So but it's a lesson the confusion. It's up to the state and it's up to the Democratic Party within the state. And the national parties, the committees have some influence. Mm-hmm. They can't dictate it. But they can put pressure on them okay. through funds, mm-hmm. through support logistics, things that you really want at the oh, state well, level. Need, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're a Democrat in uh, Nevada, you really want the national committee's help. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be even more screwed up than it was this year. Yes. So that adds to time as well. And then you have jockeying among the states. The southern states are now early because they used to be later. And they felt like they were getting ignored. So their voice wasn't heard as quickly as some of the other earlier states that would dictate who would continue in the primary race. Or they come along at the point where one of the candidates has enough delegates to already win the convention. Okay, so they're irrelevant. Right. You go through the process, but they felt like they were being slighted. Right. So they got moved up, which presents an interesting dynamic in this year's election because of the cultural diversity in the United States. Yes. Uh, there's an interesting article floating around out there about how the United States is not a nation, but it's 11 separate cultural units. Oh, interesting. Uh, others would say that's a gross understatement. There's probably more. <laughs> but right, you think of the difference between traveling through New England states and the southern states or uh, the southwest states. Yes. And you really do feel like these are two different countries. Oh, totally. Yeah. Even the Midwest. Exactly. So you get into a situation where who goes first has an influence or not. Uh, So that's all sorts of jockeying Mm -hmm. before the election. At the end of this election, they will start the debate for the next four years. Who goes when? Who goes when? Why? Who's bundled together? What? Exactly. That's insane. And then we're not even electing a president. We're just picking people who... We're just narrowing the field. Exactly. Yeah. The other thing is the presidential system in the United States is very individualistic. Other places, the party picks who the potential candidates are. Right. And then in-house, they they winnow that down to the top one who's going to stand against the other party. God, that would be so nice. The Republicans are the great example this year where you had 11 candidates start out. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. No, and I think it's a good. democracy that's, but it's, it is so unusual in our culture even that people are looking at it this year like, wow, what, what's going on? Yeah. And then all the Republican debates starting, what, last November? Yeah, it seems to me that there were a lot more debates on both sides. Um you mean, True. even if you look at the Democratic side, there was what, four, can- four candidates? 
There were four, four at versus the eleven. Right. And it just seems like it seemed like a little bit of a circus on one end versus the other. Right. Um, but I guess that would happen if you're trying to have eleven points of view trying to exactly. be recognized. And you know, anyone who's been a debate moderator recognizes that that's not that's you're no longer having a debate. You're having stump speeches. Right, exactly. Eleven people. The dynamics involved in that is just untoward. And we saw that in any one of the Republican debates. Right. Then the Democrats want more because the Republicans have all these debates going on early. Debates are free Mm -hmm. name recognition vehicles. Yes. So so so-and-so on the Republican side gets his name out there and -and so-and-so on the Democrats. Like, what are we doing? Why are we hearing only about Republicans and not Democrats? Mm -hmm. There's a large body of voters in the United States who are registered as independent, which simply means they do not register with a political party. So they can, they generally can't vote during the primaries. If they're closed. If they're closed. Yeah. But they can vote during the general election. Mm -hmm. And many pundits over the last several elections have stated that he who wins or she this time around, perhaps wins the independent vote, wins the presidency. Right. So excluding them. So the dynamic just keeps getting more and more complex. It just seems more muddled, really. Well, and then you have the role of media. Uh, mass media has introduced a whole new dynamic in terms of getting the message out, getting people aware of who's out there. Mm-hmm. And campaigning is as much about buying stuff as getting free publicity. Right. Mr. Trump is probably the poster child for free publicity yes. during this election season. Yes, soundbite king. So if you are not the party insider, a long run looks really attractive to you. Mm-hmm. A long run up to the primary yeah, yeah. looks very attractive to you in the beginning. And we see that for one of those Republicans, Mr. Trump, that paid off. Yes. All of the establishment-sponsored people have mm-hmm. dropped. Yes. And all of, But all of the other outsiders have dropped as well. Yeah. So it's a crapshoot. So in the end, you get to why is the election so long? You get a really long-winded long explanation yeah, of well, why it's so long. Well, but I think that that's – people don't know that because normally it's just like, okay, well, there's – Usually one or two people, three at most. Right. Um, you go through the normal primary cycle. By the time you get to New York, you're done. You got the one, right. one you and have, one. You yes, have the, exactly. the the cream has risen to the top. You mm-hmm. those are your two candidates. But if you think about it, with a diverse population such as the United States, and you have eleven candidates, it's more representative of the groups out there mm-hmm. but it takes a longer time to get the to do the math yeah to get the number of delegates you need to reach the 50 plus one vote mark yeah so i'm kind of torn here i like the idea of 11 people putting their their name in the hat yeah on the other hand if that keeps going, then we might as well just start primary season tomorrow, the right. day after the election. Right, exactly. And just have it run for four years from here on out. I think also people are uh, maybe are totally turned off by this entire primary um, election for president, but then they forget that they're also voting for their state and their state level um, representatives for right. their own 
House and Senate and also for federal House and Senate. And I think that if you miss those, you should vote right. no, regardless. Exactly. But, you know, I think people miss out on that because they get so caught up in the media craziness that right. they will just like, I'm just not going to vote. And that's you're missing it. Like you're missing and, the people that actually make your decisions. Right. On a base level. State and local representatives are very concerned that all the primary hype for the presidency is going to lead to uh, fatigue. Yeah. No one's going to be listening to their message when they roll around at the, well, around now in mm -hmm. Maryland. Right. People are going to start campaigning now that the primary is done for the general election. But if you the voter fatigue has set in, people don't want to hear it anymore. They just shut their TVs off. They don't exactly. want to they throw your postcards away. And right. They're done. And they don't donate money. Ah, yeah. We have a big uh, bias in this country towards big bucks. Mm -hmm. But at the local and state level, uh, I mean, in your district, congressional district, yeah. and your senator, uh, much of that funding still comes from individual donors. Right. And the worry is that there's only a limited pool that people are going to give. And if it's all getting drained away during this extensively long battle, then you over get nothing left. Who's going to be the nominee for president? Yeah. And then president can't do anything. Look at Mr. Obama and the Republican-dominated legislature. I know. Whoever wins is going to have to hope for his or her party to control mm -hmm. the legislature as well right. to really be effective. Absolutely. And that's even more money. Uh, yeah. This is, so speaking of money, since it's come up naturally, what do you, what do you think about the um, Citizens United and Super PACs? I think that was uh, the Citizens United was um, a big mistake. I think it I was an yeah. incredible example of jurists reading into the law what they wanted to see there yeah. without taking consideration of the intent. Yes. Okay. Now, uh, Mr. Scalia, who's since passed away, mm -hmm. would argue that he doesn't care about intent. He looks at the letter of the law. What does it say? So he's very literal. He was always very literal very in literal. the translation. translation. Well, he was always very little when it suited his, his purpose. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, Justice Alito, on the other hand, mm -hmm. came right out and said he just didn't believe, uh, that. and Kennedy came out and said they just didn't believe that it's going to make a difference. And that flies in the face of everything that political scientists have discovered in their research over years and cross countries, the influence of money on decision making. It flies in the face of everything that advertisers for commercial products right, exactly. know. Right. I mean, like you have a new product, you're going to advertise it. Exactly. And you're, you're not just going to give it away for free. And the way you advertise it makes a difference. Absolutely. Uh, your sponsors make a difference. You'll never hear anything bad about uh, McDonald's during an athletic event that's sponsored by McDonald's. No. They just won't have it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's a little thing. I was talking to somebody today how a little store like the shoe department yeah. closed uh, in the mall because uh, a bigger place, Payless, didn't want the competition. Now, this is just a heuristic story. I don't know if it's true or not. Okay. But it makes sense. Um, even at the local level. Your job is to try to capture the market, capitalist system, sell yeah. the most. Therefore, you try to drive the competition out. You try to spin things. That takes money. You try to tell people your shoes are better than their shoes. I mean, why do we put name brands on clothing? 
Well, because my, I don't. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just to differentiate yourself in the market. A T-shirt is a T-shirt until it has that brand. image on it. Right. That costs thirty dollars more than a regular right, T-shirt. Exactly. My dad always uh, said with like the big branding on right. your shirt he says you know are they paying you to wear that shirt <laughs> exactly you're, I, you're a billboard that's exactly you're a walking it. Yeah. advertisement yeah so the impact of citizens united and the pack money super pack money the unaffiliated money is to be seen yeah um personally i'm gonna have to go with a string of evidence from political scientists from market researchers over the past 30 years and say, yes, it's going to have an impact. Yeah. I mean, we can already see that. Right. Yeah. Even if it's at the subtle level where you don't bite the hand that feeds you, yeah. you need to be reelected. Yeah. Even the president can only be, only can go twice. Right. But he still or she needs to be elected the second time. Yes. So subconsciously or maybe a little bit consciously, you're like, ooh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should wait. Yeah. Mr. Obama provides an example for me. He's a highly aggressive uh, president at this point in his career. Yes. I would not have described him as that during his first four years. No, I wouldn't either. I, I think that he's been much more... Um, Active. Yeah. I mean, just way more involved, it right. seems. and and More liberal, pursuing yep. the types of things, the change that we can believe in, his campaign right. slogans. Exactly. I mean, so it's because it's... You want to get your eight years in, so mm -hmm. your first four are just sort of right. kind of not ruffling a lot of feathers mm -hmm. and not, you know. And it costs a lot. Yeah. I mean, estimates are that this election cycle could go up to $5 billion. That's insane. That really is. Especially yes. when you have people that, you know, can't feed themselves. Right. And we're, we're talking about cutting money out of the federal budget. Mm -hmm. We're talking about uh, living wages. Yeah. Is $15 too much? Can you make it on seven and a quarter? No, you right. need 15. I mean, it's been, it's like across the board. People know that. And mm -hmm. states are starting to enact 15 because right. they are sick and tired of waiting around for federal well, standards. And they also have to pay for it. Right. If you're not paying living wage, people are qualifying for state benefits and federal benefits. And I don't think people get that. Like right. they're, they're just, you're, you're paying for it no matter what. It's just how you redistribute the funds is exactly. how you're doing it. Right. So, yeah, uh, Citizens United decision, I think, was a mistake. Yeah. And I think that the justices, if they actually believe it's not going to have an impact on politics, are extremely narrow in their perspective and they needed to do a bit more research. Yeah. Uh, and at worst, that they're a little jaded and isolated from the world. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe if we get another justice elected. That's Maybe we can overturn thing, yeah. it. Oh my God. I mean, come on. It's like uh, you're withholding. Right. The, I mean, the whole argument that the people have the right to decide, that's. That's not true. They just don't want to appoint somebody under Mr. Obama. Because they'll have three then. That's right. And, you know. And it just, you know, it, it, there's no legitimate legal principle for them to stand on. No. And they know that because they're, they're trying to invoke people like. Uh, Vice President Biden, when he was chair of the committee. Yeah. But they only tell half the story. He did eventually call the hearings. And in fact, they went, the, the nominee went all the way through and is now a sitting Supreme Court justice. That's right. I mean, I think that they, they throw in the face uh, recent, relatively recent history, and it's not accurate. Right. So. It, it's, it's selective 
memory selective recall, selective use of information. Yeah. It happens all the time. Yeah. Well, if it serves your purpose, I guess. Right. And people believe you. <laughs> and people believe you. And we do because we're not a particularly well-informed society when it comes to politics. No. And I don't understand, right. you know, why people don't have a, they don't care. They just have this laissez-faire attitude about voting. And I'm like, no, no, no. That's the no, one thing that is equal amongst all people. I don't see pe- I don't think people actually get the direct connection to their lives. Really? I don't think they see they understand how fully it impacts them. If you did, you'd be more interested and involved, at least yeah. informed. Yeah, I mean, you don't nobody's, you know, forcing you to vote one way or the other, but at least make a really well-informed decision and ask questions and I feel like some people don't want to talk politics because they're afraid of offending somebody, but that's right. maybe how you can learn or respect somebody else's views. And, right. and that, that's, yeah. that's, that's not happening. I think people are too politically correct. Right. Um, There's some it. interesting articles out there about uh, how we've shifted away from developing political understanding towards political kind of cognitive isolationism. Okay. Uh, Facebook, for example, you look at your Facebook feed and if you're the average person, an overwhelming number of people on your feed will share your political views. Yes. And you share information back and forth and you pat each other on the back for being, I'm a liberal, so for being how liberal you are. Right, right, right. And you share little memes about how stupid and ignorant everybody else is. Right. And they make some very interesting points that when we get to the level of denigrating Almost as a knee-jerk reaction, those who do not agree with us, we eliminate the possibility of virtually all discourse. And even if you are right, let's just take what most of us believe, that we are correct in our opinions. There's no opportunity for conversation with someone else who isn't right or ability to convince them or dissuade them. Right. And that's a problem in a political system that allows differences of opinion right? because at some point action might actually require compromise. Mm -hmm. Again, we look at the current situation in Washington as an example where the Democrats are all right about this, except the Republicans are also all right about that. Right. And we have historical, we we are in a record period of, Let's see, how do I put this? We currently have passed less pieces of legislation than we have throughout most of our history. Uh, we just can't. We just, we're just we at a standstill. Right. Yes. We're at this a is, standoff, know, pretty much. Where the, the do-nothing Congress label comes from that's being thrown around in the mm-hmm. uh, on social media. Right. So, But again, if you want to change that, you have to vote, and you have to vote in the primary. So that's it. So if you're like, you want a Congress that works for you because they're really there for you, you're, they represent you, right. then you need to vote. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was very dismayed several years ago when I was talking to students about voting, and they were a freshman class, so they were young. And they, for the most part, were not eligible yet. And we were talking about comparisons to other parts of the world where voting is mandatory. Okay. And they were taken aback by that. They thought that was unfair. Really? That it would it'd be inappropriate because they had the right to not vote. Hmm. And I thought about that. And next class I went and I asked them, 
Where did you get this right to not vote? Who protested for your right not, not to, to vote? vote? Yeah. Uh, and it's an interesting dynamic here. It's, it gave me some insight into the level of involvement in uh, the younger generation. Do you think it uh, slightly has something to do with entitlement? I think I would go more with the helicopter parent okay. as a smaller part of that entitlement. Okay. The Someone's always taking care of you so right. that you don't have to worry about it yourself. I gotcha. Uh, political involvement involves you making stands, processing information, and then to some degree worrying about what's going on. Yeah, yeah. But I don't, I, I think that the helicopter parent phenomenon is sort of stifling that it's quelling the the uh yeah. radical right person there's safety yeah, yeah. safe yeah. people aren't generally not radicals right exactly. uh, it's, yeah, it's not a good statement but safety does not generate radical behaviors well right and you know, or thoughts yeah and sometimes you know. it's you know you need to have some radical yeah. thoughts if you're comfortable why bother protesting you know? yeah that's true so um, we talked about a little bit about social media yeah. um, and voting. And I think that in some of the caucuses and the primaries, that a lot of stuff was happening with uh, voter fraud or suppression. So do you think that because of social media that's being – always? do you think it's always been happening or do you think now it's just coming to the forefront because people can connect immediately right. with thousands or millions of people? Well, I, there are two different issues here, voter suppression and a voter fraud. The legislatures that have passed the restrictions like to talk about voter fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very difficult to say because there's not a whole lot of data to support the notion that there's widespread voter fraud going on. Okay. Uh, this seems to be, critics would suggest, it seems to be more of a voter suppression Okay. Uh, making it more difficult for you to be able to vote. Yeah, making it more people for people difficult for people who are not my supporters to vote. Gotcha. Um, disenfranchising the poor, mm-hmm. uh, urban dwellers, those who are less likely to have the resources. For example, one of our primary identifications is a driver's license, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of people don't get that if they don't have a car. Well, right. Especially if, if you live in New York City, you don't need a car. Right. Urban dwellers, why would you have one? So they they have these IDs, but they have to go to a certain place and certain yeah. time and all this. So, um, and you have to take off work and wait in line, and right. you know, so it's just like not yeah. feasible. I think voter fraud, as in people cheating, with voting more than once. Yeah, yeah. I mean the candidates were supposedly reelected in Massachusetts over and over again because. Uh, vote early and vote often. Uh, one of the candidates, I can't remember which one, was the most popular candidate in the graveyard. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, I mean, it goes back, this is at least into the 1960s. Okay. The political machines of earlier days were notorious for forcing people to vote. If you're Irish in New York or in Boston, you voted Democrat or else. Yeah. Uh, so, it, yes, it goes on. Um Social media plays a very interesting role in it because it... I think it's it's more... It wasn't such an influence in the past elections, and now it's becoming a huge influence. It popularizes it. Yep. So uh, I read an article today, a blog, 
Um, it's hard to tell what to call them anymore. Are they articles? Are they opinion pieces? I mean, if it's on... I know, it's tough. And it's hard to really I, cite them as, exactly. and, and for their research and things. So it's like, you have to almost say, I read this on, and then right. <laughs> you always have to state, like I always, Tim, Tim will ask me, he's like, well, who wrote it? And I said, oh, it was a Times piece or is the Washington Post or the San Francisco, something like right. I have to be like, no, no, no. I think it's a, I think that this could possibly be a <laughs> reputable news source. Yes, exactly. Right. And then there are so many uh, Internet news sources that I don't really know a whole lot about them. Right. And f- tracking them is more difficult. Right. Because you could have a really excellent journalist writing for somebody like Gawker or Slate and right. and it's like the best article you've ever written. Right. But yeah. So. But I think social media is popularized as in made it more well known mm-hmm. that um that you should be aware of these things if you go to right. your polling place and if or, they, they can't yes. find you, these are the steps you take. So maybe exactly. that I mean as far as education. True. If it actually happens with any more frequency or not, that's a difficult question. Right. Um the was it the last presidential election or two ago? The voter boxes, the ballot boxes got, got, got found dumped by the riverbank. Oh. And I was like, okay, well, that's also been going. And, of course, they were from minority districts yeah. who would have voted heavily Democratic. And if, I forget which state, but it was in a more Republican-dominated state. Okay. Uh, that doesn't mean that the Republicans would be the only ones who do it, but this is just the example that mm-hmm. I can think of. It's been going on, whether it's a big issue or not, whether it changes elections, that's a more difficult question to respond to. Yeah. But we hear more about it because somebody knows somebody who saw this and we all have social media accounts. That's right. So we can all hear about it. So it has the presence of a more viable, important issue now than it ever did in the past. Well, I think it's not as easily swept under the rug. Correct. And that's the other thing. It One of the advantages of social media is that it is non-filtered mm-hmm. media. Anybody can get up there. Right. If the mainstream media is not covering things because of their corporate sponsors, let's say, mm-hmm. others don't have to worry about that. They don't have a corporate sponsor. They That's got right. a computer and a keyboard. They're good to go. And an internet connection. And, and, an you're, internet connection. and you're ready to rock. Right. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> so um, do you think that this, in any time in history, has there ever been more like a contested feeling? Like there, I just think that they're very polarized, even in the Democratic Party currently. Uh, they're they're very polarized, two polarizing candidates. And then you've got, of course, you've got Donald Trump, um, who is just... Donald Trump. Yes. I think, again, this is a, this, uh, the, the perception you have is based on um, the access to information that we have, right. which is unprecedented. But there have been uh, highly contested races in the past that have been very um, personal, mm-hmm. politically dynamic, uh, opposed to each other. Um, personalities get heavily involved. Um, we just aren't as well aware of it. In the early days, the dynamics between those who we've come to call the Federalists and the Democratic Republicans mm-hmm. were highly contentious. Okay. But it's so long ago, we read about them in an American politics textbook and it's all whitewashed where they disagreed yeah. on these basic fundamental principles. Oh, well, that's an interesting debate. Yeah. Whereas, you know, they're 
fighting it out tooth and nail. Right. But you'd read about it in a newspaper, which has since crumbled to dust. <laughs> so I think, again, the uh, the presence of this, this huge information network mm-hmm. makes it seem much more real. I just think, you know, if your only news source was a newspaper and you're like, I'm not choosing to read that, that's fine. But now your major news source is just right. bombarding you with all this information. And you can't actually choose not to read something. Um, yeah. I use Facebook. I go on Facebook. All I want to do is see puppies and kitties. Right. But I don't have the choice to filter what my friends post or share with me right. or the people I'm following. I could go and unfollow everybody, but... What's the fun in that? Then I'll miss the puppies and kitties that they post. Right, exactly. So uh, I think it is an unintended consequence, a political dynamic that nobody thought about. Okay. When social media started expanding, it was, you know, just a place for people from Harvard to get to know each other. Well, right. And then, but you also have things like the Arab Spring that was like Twitter was really uh, right. influential in that. Right. And- One of the dynamics of developing countries is that. Lots of people have cell phones. Yeah. Landlines are largely non-existent. Mm-hmm. They're too expensive to maintain. Mm-hmm. They're too easy to control. Uh, cell phones, are they're not the more sophisticated type things that we have or the better still ones that the Japanese have. But they can get you online. They can get you access. They have to be uh, satellite capable because that's the only sort of connection you can get. Right. And that's an, uh, a dynamic that nobody thought about. Mm-hmm. And it helped create... Um, a broader group formation dynamic. One of the things that has historically kept groups small is the need for physical proximity. The development of groups has always been fundamentally based on how many people can you get in the same room type of phenomenon. Right. Well, you don't need to be in the same room or on the same continent anymore. And that has changed a lot of things. Uh, And one of them is uh, social movements. Yeah. Uh, It's also changed banking. Mm-hmm. The more structured, formal type yeah, of phenomena yeah, as well. Yeah. And it's changed the dynamics of politics in the U.S. and elsewhere. I mean, I think it's I think it's interesting. And, and you know, I'm interested to see how it's going to either influence, help or hurt in the future. I'm sure that we'll be reading articles about this for That's years true. to come. They, yeah. they, they have already started. The political scientists last November were issuing slews because we had the interim elections Right. And the last presidential election, the Democrats capitalized on social media, much more so than the Republicans. Mm-hmm. And the Republicans decided they were going to do a big push for this cycle around. And so there's all sorts of uh, preliminary research out there on the effect that it has. Right. And of course, it's, it's only one, two election cycles. Right. The results are inconclusive at this right, point. Exactly. Yeah. You don't have a big data pool yet. Right. Yeah. So, I mean... Um, what is, so we're coming up on convention season. Right. So what, and they're, with Donald Trump only being the only Republican, chances are it's right. not going to be a contested election, although it might be, right. um, or a contested convention. But the Democratic side, there probably is going to be a contested convention. Right. So what exactly is that? And have there been, I know there's been contested sure. conventions in the past, but, you know, did the person fare well after, I guess is the well, all right, conventions. Mm-hmm. All this that we've been doing for the last year right. has simply been selecting delegates for the 
Democrats and delegates for the Republicans to go to a national convention right. where they will actually select who their party's presidential and vice presidential candidates will be. Okay. Um, the convention was originally designed to be the decision-making body, from what I understand of American political history. Mm-hmm. But it has evolved into something more of a showcase where the candidate is already selected and then your party basically throws a big cheerleading contest okay. to convince people to vote for you. Gotcha. Now, they do other things, like they develop the party's platform. Okay. Uh, the the set of principles and ideals and sometimes even policies that they want to pursue. Mm-hmm. And that's heavily influenced by who the presidential nominee is. Okay. He or she, and it's always been a he up to this point, has uh, had a big impact. But the... The elites, the bigwigs of the parties have their hand in it as well. Mm-hmm. A contested convention simply means that you actually have a, a real vote instead of just a symbolic vote for who's going to be your presidential nominee. Gotcha. Um, so it's not as horrible as they're making it out to be. No, it's simply imagine New York was a contested primary democratic election. Mm -hmm. Many people suggested that Hillary Clinton was going to win. Right. Yet they had an election and both Hillary and Bernie got votes. Mm -hmm. So they had a contested election. Right. That's what's going to happen at the Democratic convention. Okay. Probably. Probably. Well, I would say yes, because Sanders released a statement today saying he's He's, in it to win it. going all the way. Yeah. And the dynamics of it are interesting in that when you at the primary level or the caucus level, you actually are not picking a presidential candidate when you vote or when you caucus. You're picking somebody who you think should go to the convention. To vote. Right. Like you would like them to vote. So in the state of Maryland, I got to vote for which I'm a Democrat, which Democratic candidate I wanted. Mm-hmm. And then I got a slate of electors. Delegates, delegates that yeah. I could pick as well. Others, you have just the name of your candidate. Okay. And then the state uh, Democrat or Republican committee decides who the delegates are that are going to go. Oh. Each state also gets to decide if the delegates are bound by the primary or caucus vote or not. So meaning if Hillary won the state, they they have to vote for her. Correct. Um, but or it, yeah. they could just be elected to go because they suggested that's who they might vote for. Right. Many have a two-vote requirement. The first round, second round, you have to vote for the person that you were elected to represent when you go there. Okay. After that, all holds barred. Nothing's keeping you. You can pick whoever you want after that. Wow. That's where the interesting part of a contested election comes. For example, with the Republicans, had Mr. Trump not been the only one left standing Mm -hmm. and had Mr. Cruz and Mr. Kasich and anybody else, Mr. Carson kept on accumulating delegates. Yeah. The rules would stipulate that for the most part, again, varies state by state, but let's just use the two vote rule. The first vote, everyone goes, raise your hand for Mr. Trump, raise your hand for Mr. Raise your hand for so and so. No majority. Second vote, same thing. Third vote, that's when they were talking about things like, um, oh, Mitt Romney, for example. Uh-huh. 
or could come back in, right? And, yeah, because they could they can select whoever or whoever they choose, right? Yeah. There, Paul Ryan, mm-hmm. for example, anybody that they want at that point in time is viable. Okay, that was what they were looking at in the Republican side before all the other contenders dropped out. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's quite the issue they're thinking about in the Democratic side. I don't think so either. Yeah. No, I think there's just yeah. two people that they're like right. going for. So that's where the contested election started becoming big news in American politics. Yeah. But what were the Republicans going to do to stop Mr. Trump? Right. I think that that was the whole thing. Yeah, so. Exactly. I agree but, with you know, after, after last night's um, yeah. election, it seems sort of a moot point. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> seems like that's, that's the guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, do you think a two-party system is limiting or outdated? Yes. Okay. I do. I think... The diversity of the U.S. population uh, is not well served by a two-party system. The two-party system serves the Democrats and the Republican parties well, Mm -hmm. but I'm not convinced it serves Democrats or Republicans well. I agree with that because I feel like no matter what, how you are forced to be in two groups and you're compromising either way. And you're not really getting what you want. You just sort of are falling in line. We're sort of in between an individualistic political system and mm-hmm. a party political system. Uh, in, an, in a European parliamentary system, for example, you vote party line. Okay. Your party wins, you're in charge. You get the legislature and you get the executive. If you screw up, we know who screwed up. Yeah. Your party. Mm-hmm. So come the next election... We decide we don't want you anymore. With the other party. We pick the other guys. Mm-hmm. The whole party has to go along with it. Yeah. Good or bad, at least we know who to hold responsible or to whom we should give the the, uh, the, the praise. Yes. In our system, we don't have that. So there's no accountability, really? There's no accountability at the party level because mm-hmm. you run on your own. Like right now, I don't think very many upper-level Republicans are happy with Mr. Trump being the presumptive candidate. No. But what are they going to do? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> right. They don't have another choice by their own party rules. But he's an individual running in a party system, so the party rules are now designed to support him even though they don't want to because they wanted somebody else. Yeah. Um, the same thing on the Democratic side. Um, the party elite seem to be more in favor of Hillary. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But she chose to run... She's not, you know, she didn't work her way through the party system right. the way you would in a European system. Uh, work her way up the ranks. She sort of sort of jumped a few levels up. Yeah. Um, she can do whatever she wants. She doesn't have to toe the party line. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there could be some advantages of that. But this hybrid system that we have that really does effectively exclude third parties yeah. is very limiting. Yeah. I, I just, I think, and maybe um, it's people are really into this election cycle because if, in fact, um, everybody I think maybe is realizing you need a third party. Right. And the independents are now really the ones well, kind of yeah. cr- guiding the ship here in the general election. Because you, you said, right. you know, previously, the independent, you get the independent right. vote, you get the election. That's what they, you know, they've claimed for many years now that. Because Democrats are generally, uh, there are more registered Democrats in the country than Republicans. So you expect 
Democrats should win all over the place because then we right. have the Electoral College and the way that splits up votes and that's a whole other dynamic. Yeah. So within a state, you need, particularly if you're a Republican in a, a state that has more Democrats, you need lots of independent voters to go mm -hmm. your way. Right. Uh, if you are a Democrat in a Democratic majority state, there may be more registered voters, but... Republicans, as a stereotype, tend to get out the vote better. Yeah, yeah. More Democrats don't vote. Right. So then again, you need the independent voters. To, to come in and pick up right. the slack. And the independents are really, they're, they're, they're learning that they can't participate fully with the two-party system. Right. Because they can't play in these early stages when right. we're selecting who goes on to the general election. Right. I mean, is it possible for that to change? That would be a state regulation, I would imagine, if they were to change it. There is a movement, and it has been going for some time, that says we should actually have a national-based electoral system for national elections. I agree with that. That, would make, that makes sense to me. Right. I don't see it happening. There would have to be some real trauma for yeah. it to happen. Okay. Well, but hopefully. Maybe one day. For me, it would make more sense to go that direction. <laughs> yes. Exactly. So you talked about the Electoral College. You brought that up briefly. Um, what's the benefit of having that just... And instead of the popular vote, is that is it more like a ban? Like I don't know. It's States a it's a of... vestige of an older day. Okay. A lot of the original system was designed to insulate parts of the government from direct popular participation. Why would you want to do that? Because we don't trust the people. Oh. Mm -hmm. uh, in the early days, the only one you could directly elect would be your representative to Congress. Mm -hmm. And they served two years, the shortest term of all the national elected offices. The Senate, who served six, they were selected by the states, generally the state legislatures. Okay. And the president, of course, by the Electoral College. And again, much like in the delegates for the convention, when you, the people, go out and vote for your presidential candidate, mm -hmm. you're actually selecting delegates to go, electors we call them at this point, mm -hmm. to go to the Electoral College, and they get to vote for whomever they choose originally. Now states have requirements that you have to vote with the popular vote or not, depending on the state again. Okay. So it's a leftover. It's a holdover from days gone by. I'm not yeah. sure I actually trust the American public any more than the founding fathers did to be well informed. Okay. But um, the other alleged advantage of it is that it returns a majority. Okay. Okay. I see. So that rarely do you get a circumstance where you have a, well, if the electoral college does not decide, then it goes to the house of representatives. Right. And even more reason to vote. The last time we did that was, uh, I took some notes here, and I left them home. That's okay. I think it was a while ago uh -huh. that we had uh, the house. Not in our lifetime. No, 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 no. Yeah, not unless we're a lot older than we look. Right. <laughs> so the house would pick the president, and yeah. they vote. So that has happened. Oh, yeah. It's happened, I believe, three times. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure three sticks in my mind. Okay. And the House votes as state delegations. So instead of one person, one vote, California gets a vote. Okay. New York gets a vote, 50 votes. Ditto for the vice president being selected by the Senate. Okay. 
So uh, wow, that it's 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 built in there. Yeah. So it's but, geez. Um, it's messy. It sounds messy. The way it, the way the votes are split up based on population and membership, yeah. it's highly unlikely to happen. Oh, now watch, good. it'll happen this year, and I'll be a liar. Well, you have to come back and talk about it. <laughs> okay. <yeah. laughs> so, um, what? You're a political science guy. You're really well informed. You teach this. You've been doing it for 25 years. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that you have some pretty good ideas of what your ideal election would look like. Oh. What would you do? Well, everyone would have to wear tiaras. Okay. And I would go with the European uh, parliamentary system. Do you find that that's the most efficient? I would uh, like to give it a try because I think it corrects some of the deficiencies in the U.S. hybrid uh, presidential individualistic slash party system. Okay. I don't see in a country the size of the United States a, a purely individualistic system working. So if we're going to go party, I want to go party all the way. Yeah. The president and the legislature all get to be Democrats or Republicans. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of four years, we say, you guys did great. Four more years for you. Four more years. Yeah. Okay. And that way the parties can enforce party loyalty. Yeah. If you don't vote with me, you don't get a seat next time. Right. So that it runs all the way up and down. I would also like to include... Multi-member districts rather okay. than single-member districts. Okay. Multi-member districts allow, yeah, depending on your population, you get to send more than one person from your constituency area mm-hmm. to the legislature. Yeah. They allow for not minor parties. I hate to call it minor, but other than the two dominant parties yeah. to send elected officials in. Okay. The way you gain steam in a constituency is by proving that you can do something. Mm -hmm. If you can't get elected because the system, the rules are rigged against you, Mm -hmm. no one's going to vote for you. You know, it's the old, I'm not voting for the third party. I'll throw away my vote. Well, I mean, it's a true statement because it's happening. It's happened. Right. Yeah. Oh, yes. So switch to the parliamentary system where party loyalty, you vote party ticket, and switch from a single-member constituency to multi-member. Mm-hmm. So it opens the door for more than two parties. And I think that would provide a better chance for a transition from the current two dominant parties to possibly a third dominant party. Gotcha. Party systems tend to gravitate towards two-party dominant, mm-hmm. but they don't always have to be the same two parties. I gotcha. Uh, interestingly enough, I read an article about how this one author was criticizing the Democratic Party for no longer being the party of the working class. Hmm. Uh, the Democrats pitched labor unions, yep. and these, those were the vehicles for the, the workers in the country. Right. But that was the backbone of the Democratic Party yeah. following World War II. Yes. The Republicans, we've seen a clear shift from the, you know, let's go back further, to the Abraham Lincoln Republicans. Mm-hmm. To the, I don't know if I'm going to call them the Donald Trump Republicans yet, the current Republicans. Right. So the party names have remained the same, but, but the, the party ideals, bases yeah. and the ideals have changed. Yeah. So having a vehicle to get a third party in there that might better represent the, the majority. Right? If you think about what or the minority, what the labor unions want, they want job security, they want more money. Mm-hmm. They're working class. What are a lot of Donald Trump's followers? 
All, all of those things. They fall into the same category. Yeah. They're a natural fit with that respect. Yeah. Uh, as a third party. Yeah. I gotcha. Uh, yeah. So that would be my ideal. That's where I'd like to go. Uh -huh. I, that sounds good. I mean, what we have isn't really working that well. So. No, I don't. I don't. I think it is either. So it's not a, not as efficient as it could be. No, and it's too focused on the party and not the people. Yeah. In the party, and so, I find that distressing. Well, right, considering that they're representing exactly. The people. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I am so happy that you came on the podcast, and we'll have well, to do this thank again. You. Thank you again for inviting me. This was good fun. No problem. So uh, this is your first time here. Yes, but, it is. But not your last. Okay, good. Um, I asked the three questions. Are okay. you ready for that? I'm ready. All right. So if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? That's a really tough question for me because geography is less important than population. Okay. And as long as my friends are there... Mm -hmm. I would be good with it. Okay. So. But geographically, it's got to be a four-season climate. Okay. So you're in, you'd like the four seasons. Yeah. I like the change. I Probably just a, you know, what you learn first, you learn best. So I grew up in New England. We yeah. have four seasons. Yeah. But if I had to pick a spot, I want a nice place that's warm, beachy, and urban. No, oh, okay. Rio, maybe. Maybe Rio. <laughs> <laughs> but after they finish up their problems with say, the president, maybe later. Maybe after the impeachment. Right. Um, so what's your favorite season since you... I am a summer person. Summer person. I like the hot. I mean, I love the water. Hot, yeah. wet, uh, beautiful sunshine. Good. I'm really digging the, uh, the summers in Frostburg because we also get that nice mountain yeah. breeze going on. Nice. Reminds you of the ocean breeze you could get. Exactly. <laughs> and there's probably some ocean in there somewhere. Probably, yeah. Um, so if you were lucky enough to know what your last meal would be, what yeah. would you eat? That's a tough one, too, because I would like my last meal to, you know, I'd like the end to come as a surprise. So mm -hmm. my flippant answer would be uh, whatever I just ate. Sure. But uh, I'd have to go with pizza and beer. Pizza and beer. What kind pizza, of pizza? Yeah. Uh, I'm a simple boy. Cheese pizza. Nice. New York style crust, though, please. Or thin, fold it. Really uh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh -huh. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, well, thank you again for having me. This really has been a good time. I appreciate it. Good. We'll see you soon then. Okay. For more information on today's show, make sure to check out our website, and that's recordtalklisten.com. If you like what you hear on the show and you want to take us with you, make sure to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Republic, and now Google Play. We are on so many different platforms, so there's really no excuse why you can't listen to all 70. And then make sure to share with your friends and family and leave us a review. Um, if you want to get in contact with us, because we love to hear from our listeners, make sure you get in touch with us. You can do it three ways. We're on Twitter at REC Talk Listen, so make sure you follow us so you can keep up with all of our latest information. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash record talk listen. And an old fashioned email always gets through. And that's record talk listen at gmail.com. So if you're interested in sponsoring the show, we have a special tab on our website. So don't forget to check that out while you're there. This has been another episode of Record Talk Listen, where I hit record, people talk, and hopefully you listen. Until next time, thank you so much.